0: for this episode of the Tech Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest for this episode is uh, my friend, Den Jones. So Den, uh, if you wanna you know, give a little bit of background on yourself and where you're at now, um, and we'll kick things off.
1: Hey Tony, well thanks for having me and uh, happy 2022 everybody. So yeah, so Den Jones recently joined Banyan in December of 21 um, as their chief security officer And in that role, I've got the responsibility of running IT and running security, and then also our Banyan at Banyan program. And uh, there's a great part of my role, which I'm really enjoying, which is getting to spend time with people in the industry, uh, talking about all things security, including zero trust, uh, um, whatever that means to the many people out there. I think that varies to begin with. And prior to Banyan, I was actually at Cisco and Adobe where I ran enterprise security in both companies. And in both companies had the identity stack um, and in both companies also deployed zero trust. Uh, so I've got really great experience deploying zero trust to you know, over 100,000 people, which is, is kind of cool.
0: Okay. Now, before we go further, um, and I'm, I'm going to date myself here somewhat, but you know, when I got into it as a network admin, uh, and, and everything, um, you know, one of the kind of prevailing vendors architectures at the time was Banyan vines. And I just want to clarify your Banyan has no connection to Banyan vines.
1: That's correct. Yeah. So we're Banyan security. Uh, so it's Banyan is the website. And, um, nothing to do with banyan vines we don't even have a logo that has a tree or a vine or even a grape you know so we're not even close to vines uh but we always uh people always bring it back to banyan vines especially if you've been in the industry as, as long as we have tony right
0: right well i was going to say like I, I i guess it'll it'll uh it, it will totally depend on what's the uh what's the age demographic of, of the audience of this podcast whether that is even relevant you know <laughs> Because, because you know, to to people of a certain age, that that's the first thing you think of if you hear Banyan in in relation to I you know information technology or or whatever. Um, and I think below a certain age, they'd be like, I don't, know. I have no idea what you're talking about. Why why are you even bringing that up? So, um, you yeah. So you you talked about how you know you you, you know what you did at Adobe, Cisco, and and what you're doing now at Banyan, and you know you and I uh, spoke previously on this podcast while while you were at, we're were at Adobe, um, about, you know, uh, you know, the kind of the zero, zero trust deployments and and things like that. Um, you know, one of the things you just alluded to though, is is kind of where I'd like to start this conversation, which is, you know, what kind of the, what is zero trust and, 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 you know, I feel like you know, you know. I don't remember when you, you and I spoke. The, the The podcast you and I did was, you know, what two years ago?
1: Yeah, easily twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. Okay,
0: so yeah, you know, yeah, two three years ago. Yeah. and you know, and and obviously, you know, when 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 uh, John Kendervag first uh, you know coined the term or whatever, that was twelve years ago, ten at least ten years ago. Um, so it's been around and in other words, zero trust is not a new thing per se at all. However, I do feel like from what I'm seeing that it is, it is a hot thing. Like it is, it is a, it is a top of mind for 2022, like sort of, you know, partly in response to where things are in terms of, uh, you know, companies being under siege with ransomware, and where things are in terms of the the blurred lines between cybercrime and nation states. Uh, you know, attacks, and th- there are various factors in cybersecurity that are making zero trust be, you know, ha- have greater value to to organizations. And so, I, I'm seeing a lot of people talk about that. The, the CISA, you know, the the government is, is is kind of is focused on on that. Um, so even though it's not new, it is, you know, hot and, you know, so I, I, I uh, but I would start with kind of, what is it, what is, what is it to you? What do you think, it, it, you know, if, if a company says they're doing zero trust, what should that mean?
1: Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's for me, it's first of all, probably one of the most overused terms out there right now is you know digital transformation, zero trust, XDR. There's just many of these buzzwords flying around. So um I, I like to think of it as being um rather than the term, I really like to think about the outcomes. You know, in our case, what what we done at Adobe and Cisco and, and really we actually so Banyan was um, one of the technologies we used in Adobe in our Zero Trust platform. So that's how I got the connection and got to know the team at Banyan. Um, and in all of the deployments, what we were focused on was users accessing applications and services, and enabling us to not worry about the the network that the user was on. Ideally, you even take your office network and make that like a guest network. Um, and as you alluded to, if, if you follow any of the surveys out there, the term zero trust, for most C-level people, apparently, it's in their top 10 of priorities. Um, I don't even know if they know why it's in their top 10. They probably heard the term so many times they figured they need to put it in there. And the boards maybe expect a zero trust thing these days. Um, and then the other thing you alluded to is, you know, security incidents. If you look at most of the security incidents that happen, you know, I, I kind of believe that a good zero trust deployment—and I'd love to explain what I mean by that—but a good zero trust deployment has the ability to either prevent or slow down most of these attacks. So if you think of ransomware, um, if you can imagine ransomware comes in, and the way it comes in is someone clicked a link and they click the link, their machine got infected. Now in a traditional office network, I can see your computer, you can see mine, it's a wide open office network. And maybe from a segmentation perspective, I can't get into the data center network or an AWS network without going to be a bastion host, that would be nice, or a lab network might also be segmented. But it means in your office network, I can still maybe see thousands of devices. Now, if my machine is compromised, I can then launch the attack as the bad actor to all the thousands of machines. Now, a good zero trust implementation for me is where you get to the position where your office network is configured from security policies to only allow to get to the internet. And when you get to the internet, you get to a zero trust platform, that allows you to access the applications and services that you've published. You can't get to the full network. You don't get all the ports and protocols. You only get to the app and service that you're publishing. And as part of that, we're also doing a posture check on the device. And then as part of that, we're enforcing a minimum security bar like 2FA, uh, not using passwords any longer. So a lot of a lot of passwordless things in the industry. So if you can think about you know these attacks, if if you do this right, you can start to really you know minimize or eliminate a lot of these attacks.
0: Okay. So let me give you sort of my my, my, my personal take uh, on on zero trust and then, and, and, and let you, let you respond to either agree or disagree. Um, To me, it's, you know, and and back from, you know, when, when I started in cybersecurity and and got my CISSP and stuff like, you know, you know, one of the primary focuses was on least privilege access. And, you know, and when I was a network admin, you know, all the things were, you know, okay well don't let don't let your users have you know admin rights on on their local machines you know and 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 so a lot of cybersecurity revolved around saying look well if if den jones credentials get compromised the attacker is going to be able to execute malicious code with the permissions and access that den jones has so let's just make sure he doesn't have that much um or 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 try to you know contain it um which you know makes sense on some level um, to me zero trust is a, is is an evolution of that it's it's basically saying okay yeah that's true it it would be good for us to limit what you have access to however it's no longer good enough for me to just say you know okay well den jones he's he's in he, he you know he's the cso he's in, he's in this department so we're going to give him access to these you know servers or these applications and then just you know just let you in the door and and let you run free because of the way network architecture has evolved and the way the attack uh, you know uh, ecosystem has evolved that's no longer sufficient now i have to you know check more often i have to say okay I, i can't just you know i guess the analogy would be i can't just check your id at the door i have to check your id as you go from the kitchen to the living room, when you go from the living room to the bedroom, when you go from the bedroom to the, you know, to the den, I have to keep checking your ID to make sure, you, you know, you're still you and, and, and verify again, sort of, okay, well, why are you going to the living room, you know, and, 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 you know, do you have access to, you know, permission to go in the living room and and all those kind of things. Um, does that make any sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, So I really do see this as an evolution of the identity, you know, we want we want to know it's you. But we also know that the way bad actors attack is they attack and then they masquerade as being you, right? So least privilege is very important. Continual authorization, or authentication is really important. So we want to make sure that we'll continue those checks. But then also, it's not really about just being DEN, it's, it's DEN from which device, right? DEN has three devices and I want to know that the posture of those devices are good. And if one device is compromised, I don't necessarily have to disable the DEN account or change the password of the DEN account. I might choose to to change the password, but, but you can, you could pull the certificate or revoke access from the one device that's compromised and enable them to still be a productive employee with the other two devices. So it really for me is an evolution of, you know, our identity and access management you know, defense and depth, right? I, I get to now say, it's not just about being DEN, it's about being DEN and taking the context of DEN, the context of the devices, and say that DEN on this device is really one risk, and that DEN on the other device is a different risk. And, and they're not necessarily the same risk because the devices are not the same. Um, one of the things that was really cool we we deployed, uh, built out a UABA capability and created a team called Security Intelligence back in Adobe in 20, 2018, I think, or 2019. And that team was really just looking at all the authentication logs from various sources, but then also other logs like our travel system. So that if I suddenly see Dan logging in from you know Israel, the first thing is, well, is is then booked any travel to Israel? You know, corporate travel, not personal travel, but at least we could get the corporate travel. And then you turn around and say, get was that then? And you know then you can interact with Den. If you see Den coming in at a weird time from a weird device, you and accessing weird applications, then you get to really think about is that Den, right? Um when we moved over to Cisco, one of the the teams um I built the same security intelligence function and then within there we, we partnered with Exabeam and we delivered much the same stuff. I think you, using the information and all the logs we've got about who's accessing what applications and services and what their context is, I think is a really powerful thing and it enables us to do way, way better security but without being in the face of the users. So we start to now say, okay, I might want you to step up the authentication because I've seen you do something strange. I might want to prompt for a better security posture on the device because I've seen you come in from a strange country. Or maybe you're doing the same thing then does every day and you're not behaving weird. You're not accessing weird applications that you never access and not doing weird stuff. So maybe I can actually reduce the prompts for authentication. Maybe I'm just letting you in more. Maybe you don't need to MFA all the time, right? right. Yeah. Uh, so it,
0: it, it, I think you know part of, you know part of what you just uh, talked about. Uh, uh, I, I I definitely agree with you know. So is, on the one hand, I think that zero trust is kind of an evolution of least privilege access, but it is it's it's identity and access management, but combined with the behavioral analytics. Um. I you know it's, it, it, I think. And, and and I think there are probably different takes on that. There are probably zero trust implementations that only have one or the other of those somehow, but well, maybe not without the identity. Okay. But <laughs> um, but but I do think that that, that that's important because um, you know for for a few years now, you know, like it, it, you know, so cybersecurity used to be more okay. Well and I'm I'm going way back and, and preaching to the choir, but, uh, you know, when, when you had, all right, this is our network. We're inside our building. Here's our perimeter. Um, I can basically trust everyone who's inside this perimeter. Um, you know, and, and everyone outside the perimeter is a bad guy. Um, and we need to watch that. And, you know, it, it when, when I was, when I was doing network admin stuff, we would look at, um, you know, we would look at server like access logs uh, and review them to look for, you know, issues with, you know, uh, know, people coming in or whatever. Uh, And we were looking specifically for like unknown, unknown accounts or unknown devices, you know, trying to connect and the, you know, the way the attack uh, techniques have evolved in, you know, 10, 15 years that's not really the case anymore. It's like, it's, it's much more likely to be a valid user. From from the perspective of you, the organization, it's very likely that the attack looks like an insider attack. Now, whether or not it's actually Den Jones, you know, yeah. that, that's a different question. But what I'm really trying to look at is is the behavior because I can't just rely on the credentials part
1: yeah that and that that's exactly why we spun up the security intelligence teams in both companies is because the way we're being attacked is the bad actor looks and feels like dan jones you know from an identity perspective and authentication perspective um one of the things you, you touched on was you know that concept of you're in the corporate network i remember an early slide that the team came up with years ago as we were you know promoting um the, the Zero Trust Project in Adobe and you know, it's that usual one with the castle and the moat around it. And they're like, that's how we used to think of this, but no longer blah, blah, blah. And, and really it, it, it is a decent analogy, but the one thing is, is I, I kind of twisted all this round and I just said, imagine a day, imagine a day where you're accessing applications and services and you don't need to use the VPN. Imagine that day. Imagine a day where you're doing that and you're not entering a password. And then it's like, imagine a day where you don't, you don't have to change your password every 90 days. I say, can you imagine that future from a service desk perspective? We're going to save a ton of money. Imagine a day when lateral movement in your office networks, a thing of the past. And then imagine the big compromises you see in the industry and feeling like, great, that will never happen to us because we've done something about it. So when I always when I always talk to people about this, it's it's almost a case of get people really passionate about the outcome, the the terminology we use and all that stuff, that's that's not as cool as being able to tell someone, do you want to really lead a project or be part of a project where you're going to improve security, but you're also going to improve that user experience. because user experience from a CIO perspective and the cost of running IT, you know, that's hugely important. But if you go to the security executives and you're like, could you imagine like, not having to use usernames and passwords and you've got a certificate that's more secure or we're not VPNing in. And and the one thing about VPN that I think people always forget about is in large organizations, VPN configuration is usually the all full-time employees they VPN in and they have wide open access to that corporate network. Maybe not the data center, maybe not labs, but they've got wide open access. So our prop- proposition um, as part of the zero trust deployments we've done before, and, and you know one of ba- Banyan's value propositions is we we enable the, that access to applications without having to VPN in, and and we're not exposing that one connection to be wide open once you're in your network. So you eliminate that that one attack. That's huge,
0: right? Well, I mean, you know the the ransomware attack over. Uh, I think it was Mother's Day weekend on, on Colonial Pipeline. Um, you know the the investigation eventually arrived at that they had this like, you know, the, the zombie VPN account that you know people had forgotten about. That somehow you know that that's how the attackers got in. And, you know, so you always run that risk that, you know, you have these accounts. you know, when, when you create those accounts, someone's got to manage them. And and uh, and companies typically do a pretty poor job of <laughs> of removing accounts like they're really good at granting access, you know, like they, they get, you know, because people bug IT. So it's like kind of the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of thing, you know, as people are, hey, I need access, I need access, I need access. So IT says, OK, great, fine, whatever here. You know, I'm giving you access to that. But when that person moves to another team or leaves the company the processes that a lot of organizations have for trying to follow up on that are pretty bad um and i mean i know for a fact that i still have an active email address from a company i haven't actively worked with in eight years
1: <laughs> they wanted yeah so it's really really interesting this so one of the things that we've done in adobe with the security intelligence team. And it's really not user behavioral analysis. It's just simple, have you used this thing or not, right? So we um, we started to look at stale accounts. And if it was a stale account, then we'd reach out to the manager of the account. Normally what you find in organizations, especially the large ones, Full-time employee accounts, usually they've got great hygiene around that, about disabling that on exit because that's tied to an HR record. But the vendor accounts, generic accounts, service account type things, those are the ones that get created They get the permissions and then they get forgotten about. And if John leaves the company, then the, the three service accounts that John was managing, they are just left and no one really knows what to do now. In in our Adobe days, we've done a great job of handling those accounts and you know, handing them off to the manager of John and tell the manager you've now got a responsibility to do something, but but you're still waiting on them doing something. And so what we start to do is say, well, wait a minute, let's flip this the other way. If we don't see these accounts logging into any applications or services over 90 days, we're just going to disable the account and notify John. And, and make it easy for John to re-enable or make it easy for him to add the access back. And then the other thing was, is all accounts, including your full-time employees, if, if we, we used Okta heavily in Adobe, it worked brilliantly for us. What we were doing is we were tying every published application to a group in AD and basically saying, if you haven't accessed that application via the Okta platform, then we know that you've not used it, you're not an active user. So we remove you from the group. So from a coarse grain access control, we're just removing you from the group, we'll notify you we've removed you, and then say, if you ever need access again, go here and request it, and it'll be automatically provided. Uh, But it means that you're not granting, You know they might request it, they might use it for a month, but then you're not granting that long-term access to things that people don't use and And, going back to the colonial pipeline, it's not a zero trust play, but the reality is is account hygiene is the basics of our industry. I mean, if you don't get the identity piece right, regardless of who you are or what you're doing, then then you're you're just you know you're increasing that risk significantly, you know? So great, right. that was a great example of it. Well, and yeah, sort of a
0: peripheral conversation uh, to. Uh, zero trust itself is you know we we talk a lot in cybersecurity about okay well you know you should have these best practices you should have these tools you should you know patch patch known vulnerabilities you know you, th- these are all the things you should do and it, it's, it's sort of shocking how many times uh, you know you see an attack that succeeds and makes headlines that you know, they did all those things <laughs> and it was just some other stupid thing that wasn't on the list, you know, then it, it's just, uh, you know, something, something someone missed.
1: Yeah. I think there's an acknowledgement in the industry that, you know, you can't get everything. There's always, there's always something hidden in some corner under some rock that you, you might forget about. But I, I, I kind of look at this as saying there's, there's a reality of People process technology. Let's start with our people and and have them educated to do the right thing and know what the right thing is. Um, patching, is an example, is a, one of those basic table stakes. Um, when you when you get to things like account hygiene, when you get to things like can, configuring your app to use MFA, you know we need the application teams to to understand that that's good and that that should be done. So engage with your identity team. Um, one of one of the things I wanted to circle back on was when you think about uh, VPNs versus identity, right? So we give permissions at the identity level. We'll add you to groups to say you've got access to the app, but but then when you do VPN, you also have these ACLs and VPN, you know, uh, lines of code usually that go in there, that that at a network level are now giving you access to something too. One of the great propositions on this thing done right is you no longer need to duplicate that work. Basically, if you're in the AD group or the directory group that gives you access to the app, then you don't need to duplicate the work at the, the network level, ACL and stuff. So so that that for me is really cool. And, and here's the thing about it. So now coming back to your point, right? There's things you forget because you don't have time to do it. We've all got limited resources and limited money all right and because we've got that limited stuff the value proposition that i would always take to the executives is if we do these things here you're going to reduce the amount of time we need to spend on v- managing your vpn you're you're going to spe- reduce the time at service desk and that frees people's time up so that they can go do some of the this other stuff so ideally we're simplifying the operation, which means there's less things for us to lose and forget about, as you just mentioned, right? So that one VPN account at Colonial, you know, they, they didn't have time to find it, maybe, or, or maybe if if they had, you know, saved money elsewhere, like, you know, what, what I always talk, talk to people about saving money, um, they could reinvest that wisely and build a security intelligence team. Because if they did that, they would have found that account and realized that account was stale. I mean, it's not. It's not tricky.
0: Yeah. Um. One of the, one of the other things that I think um. Is is a more recent development that is. Continuing, exponentially, that a lot of people don't really think about is. When 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 we think of zero trust and we think of identity and access management, you know, we generally think of it in terms of. You know, I'm giving Den Jones access. I'm giving Tony Bradley access. You know, but the way things have evolved in terms of uh, devices and network architecture, the 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 device device, machine to machine, uh, you know, those permissions are, you know, a hundredfold, a thousandfold the users. Um, you know, and and you you start looking at uh, you know containerized. Uh, applications and stuff, and like just the, the volume of permissions is far greater than the number of people.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and this is where, you know, device to device, I, I kind of, so device to device is something that I think is a, an evolution of our problem, right? I mean, at the end of it, you're really still saying, I, I've got, in this this case, maybe it's APIs, but somehow you're still talking about granting something permissions to talk to something else, right? And as you mentioned, this stuff spirals out of control, especially as you build large scale cloud environments. Um, we we spent a lot of time, you know, Adobe, Cisco, and, and Banyan has a huge focus on this as well, is, you know, how do you protect those communications, you know, from a visibility perspective at a cio level they don't see that problem as much because that's something that engineers just tackle and take care of and you don't think of that as being something that spirals out of control and then is a bigger risk um usually if you do devops well then you're securing that stuff early on in the cycle and any, any scans are gonna pick up things like vulnerabilities there or any like open open doors, right? But at the end of it, it's a bit of a hidden problem because you don't have all your users, your workers in the company complaining about the experience of that. Whereas your employees complain about the experience of logging in, they complain about having to change their passwords. So it's a very vocal and visible experience uh, problem. Whereas the device to device stuff it's engineers just kind of take care of it, and it doesn't ever bubble up as being something that needs attention but but it certainly does because if you don't secure that stuff very well and one engineer device gets compromised, then within your ecosystem that device to device communication um will enable a bad actor to move around pretty quick
0: yeah um on a you know semi related note yeah, you know, well, you know, in the beginning, you talked about uh, you know trying to trying to be passwordless, and I know there's you know there's been a push with that. You know, Microsoft, you know, introduced the ability to go passwordless at least for Microsoft stuff. You know, so maybe it's a step in the right direction. But you know, on my Windows machine, I have a bunch of other stuff too that's not that's not Microsoft, so that's only a partial solution. Um, you know, you've got other vendors like Transmit Security, you know, trying trying to work on that stuff that. Um, you know, I, it is a broader, you know, it, it it applies more broadly, but still only applies to, you know, the 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 companies that sign on <laughs> for for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, but but I was going to go into you know a little bit of like the you know password management and strong passwords and two F A fa MFA, all that in in that, you know, I've noticed. That on both the like Windows side, when I'm like when I'm in like you know the Edge browser, or if I'm on my iPhone, that you know features have been in, introduced where they try to you know automatically just go, hey, you know what, you you need to create a password. Let let me create this you know secure password for you, and it creates a you know twenty characters of gibberish.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Which which on the one hand might might be okay. Like 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 you'd say, okay, well that's probably better than me naming it after my dog or my birth date or 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 whatever. However, I never use I never accept those because. That then it's only on that device <laughs> now. Now, when I go to log into that same application or service on my, uh, you know, if I if I accept the 20 character gibberish password on my iPhone. Now, when I go to log in on my Windows PC into that same application, I have to try to remember, well, what the hell was that password? Um, you know, and then you, know, you have things like LastPass which, you know, I, 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 you know, or other password vault type things, which I've used, but then I keep seeing LastPass seems to come up in the, in the headlines, you know, once or twice a year for possibly having the master passwords
1: breached. And I'm yeah, like, well, okay, well, that's yeah. a big
0: one.
1: Yeah. LastPass is, is not a password manager I use any longer. Um, it, it was one of, one of the original options that we we shared with people in Adobe. I might mean, I'm a huge password manager fan. And and here's here's why, because um, like you say, you know, if, if you're using your browser, um, it will be on that browser, on that device, depending on the browser, Chrome, for example, might say, Oh, let me share this with your other devices that also have Chrome. But but you know, I I, I don't always use just one browser. You know, sometimes I'm Chrome, sometimes I'm Safari, you know, so I might I might jump about between browsers. Um, depending on the application or service. And then the other thing is, is, I've got a work device and then I've got a personal device. I've got several personal devices. So I don't use my work device for doing any personal type work. So I use that just for work and I don't use my personal devices for any work stuff. So I like to have that separation. The one thing I do want to do though, is have a password manager where it is continually creating passwords that I don't know, where I do need a master password, where I do need 2FA to get into it. Um, and that enables to, the, the passwords to basically be consumed and available on any of my devices, on any of the browsers at any time. And it also enables me not to worry about passwords. If in your corporate environment the company does a really good job and they tie all the applications you use to your identity uh, stack, so they they're using your IDP, and in as part of that authentication with your IDP, you're doing a passwordless type scenario, which is you know what what we promote, then your corporate username and passwords, you know, there's really not much there. You know, you'll have some things, especially if you're an admin, and you might have some break glass accounts or things of that nature. But ultimately, there's not many passwords in your corporate environment any longer. But my personal environment, my personal password manager has hundreds of passwords, because I've got so many things. I mean, it could be your Netflix account, your bank account, your whatever, whatever. Well, there's there, so,
0: there's there's so many like, you know, things that like make you create a you know sign in. And it's just like, I, I, you know, where I've, I've created profiles on websites that I have no intention of like ever going back to, or you know, I might, I might use it once every three years, but, 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 you know, part of the, you know, part of using the website in the first place it required me to create a username and password. And I'm like, all right, the, those things, that, that's a whole separate conversation of, I think <laughs> businesses need to reconsider how they do that because I'm like, why, why are you forcing people to create these, like what are, Destined to be zombie accounts.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, and absolutely, it comes back to the business thinking they want to understand who they can market to. They want to understand more about you and your habits and things of that nature. But you know, the principle in security, right, is don't don't capture any data that you don't have to. You know the least amount of data, just the basics you need in order to deliver that service or capability, and don't go one attribute beyond that because you you shouldn't be as a business storing any information that, that you don't truly need for for delivering that service.
0: Right. Well, so related to all that, on, on, on. When it comes to like the the two-factor, multi-factor, you know, a, there's there's you know a ton of things that will say, hey, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a a, a code to your phone, you know. So I I mean, I, I'm just just in the regular course of an average day, I probably have that happen five times, you know, uh, with different apps and services where it's like, all right, we're gonna you know send you a text uh, code. But I've also got on my phone three different applications called authenticator like if i just search you know so there's the microsoft authenticator there's the google authenticator and there's uh id me which is like a government uh, you know the federal government authenticator um and then i also have okta you know so it, you know that that part i think you know it's it on the one it's a it's a Somewhat trivial. Like it's a it's a it's a silly thing for people to complain about. It's a silly thing for me to complain about. It's really not that big a deal. But that is something that I think that's where the users are going to push back. Users are going to be like, okay, well you're 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 asking me to do this two-factor authentication or whatever. You're telling me I need to do that for for better security. But now all of a sudden I've got, you know, 20 different services they're texting me codes. I've got five different uh, you know you know authenticator things on my on my phone that I have to you know verify against. And it's like, can we just consolidate all that to one
1: <laughs> yeah you I mean you wouldn't you love that right? I think the reality is that I just checked I've only got three twenty, so so you're you're beating me if if we're going up by who's got the most <laughs> um but yeah i I mean, I'd love that I think that the the reality is is your corporate life, you know they're pushing the you know the the octas of the world, and then you know the the other one um that's heavily in, in is um you know the semantic VIP access, so that's one that I've seen a lot of people use. But then for me, like I, you know, I jumped on Google Authenticator for my personal stuff because it's such an easy, you know, MFA app to use. I, I always think of companies, you know, from a business perspective, and eh, they must be using MFA. Like that's that's not a that's not a question in my mind any longer. In your personal life. I don't think everything needs to have MFA, but I certainly think you know if if anything that's tied to your money or your personal really sensitive information like your social security number or any of those things, government sites that you might use for your taxes, any of these things you know if if at all possible you know those those you should use MFA for. Um, so I'm i I'm a big fan, but I mean I've been a, in the identity game for for so long now, so for me. That that that's just table stakes. But you know, if I go speak to my parents about it, they're 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 now beginning to realize MFA is a good thing, but they don't know why. They only know they only know because I'm telling them. But you know, there's, there's so there's a bunch of people out there that aren't aren't really tech savvy that aren't necessarily going to be all over the MFA business. And you know, that's the world we live in, right?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and I know that there are uh, there are. Potential issues with the SMS texting code version because that can be hijacked, redirected, and such. But I generally, you know, especially if I'm actually doing something on my phone, prefer that one because at least in iOS, and I assume Android does the same thing. I don't know. Um, it will auto-populate it. You know, yes. like you're in the app, and as soon as, as soon as the thing comes in, it just you know it says, "Hey, do you want to use this code?" And it's like, "All right, cool. I don't have to. I don't. Even, I don't even have to look at the code. I don't have to know what it is." Um, so that, 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 that's kind of nice, but, uh, you know, like I said, it, it, it's a silly, it's definitely a first world, uh, problem to complain about, you know, oh my God, you know, I, I tried to, I tried to get into my Netflix account and it made me enter a code from my phone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. Um, I, I tell my kids that all the time, you know, it's like these, we, we have first world problems, the things that we complain about in our life, there's, there's many people way worse off than us. And. You know, I would, I would, I would be glad if people in the corporate world complained about using MFA, um, because at least, that, at least then I know they're using MFA. Um, you know, but I, I think the reality is our, it's really our responsibility as service providers in that case to say, okay. I, I do want you to use MFA, but let's be, I, I always said to people it's not single sign-on. It's never been single sign-on. Um, and it's and it's not always two factor. I always think of it like dynamic authentication because really what I want to get to position to is we have enough data in the back end to be able to really accurately determine whether your account is in good standing or not or whether your account may be compromised. And with all that data we've got, we, we could get smarter about the user experience and say, I'm not prompting for second factor as many times in a day because maybe you just done it once, and I know I know enough about the device, the context of the device, the user and the context of the user combined with that device. And I know, we, we know it's, we know it's Tony. We know Tony's got a device which has got all the security goodness on it, and we know he's coming in from the exact same space, doing the exact same stuff why do i need to prompt the guy to log in again you know so i, I really want the industry to kind of keep moving in this direction you know because there are, are a lot of great vendors out there that are pushing a passwordless more dynamic security context aware kind of experience well
0: it'd be it would be nice um i mean i am I'm, I'm i'm a huge fan of um the, just you know lo- logging in with facial recognition both with face id on my iphone with windows hello on my on my pc i've got you know uh you know that that's basically the, the only way i log in so i i i agree that you know that you know all those things are 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 good and i think people just need to get used to it you know and they're the, the, it's sort of like when they you know started making people wear seatbelts. again i'm dating myself um <laughs> Because, <laughs> because there's a whole generation of people who are like, "What do you mean you didn't have to wear seatbelts?" Um, you know, but there were people who were like, you know, felt very put out and like, "Oh my God, how are you? Know why are you making me do this?" And it's like, you know, it eventually it just becomes second nature, and 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 you know, you can't imagine not doing it. Um, and I think that that's kind of where we have to get with that stuff. Um, but it is, but it it's interesting to to see sort of the the balance between. On the one hand the you know having having the uh, authenticators and and the two-factor authentication and, and all of that. And then, on the other hand, kind of going in the completely other direction of having the facial recognition and just saying, "Look, uh, you know yes, you recognize me, I'm me. Just just log me in." Um, you know but but I think what you you know mentioned in the beginning and just and just you know kind of hit on again, you know with with the way you're implementing zero trust you know there is it is it is dynamic because it's like okay well well yes if i don't know you i'm absolutely going to double check this and make sure that you know you're you're someone that i should should trust and i'm going to keep on checking but if i do know you and you're you're coming in from the same device you always do from the same source ip address that you always do you're accessing the same applications that you always do then yeah i don't i, I really don't need to keep bothering you yeah, yeah.
1: And I. so one of the things I, I was thinking about this, I used to say to people, oh, if, if you were logging into your bank account, you you won't have to FA because you like to keep the money in the bank and you don't want bad people to steal it, right? But but I think that's evolved over the years because, A, that's quite a rare risk. But but kids today, especially younger p- people, they, they would be totally, totally put out if their social media account. Was, was taken over by someone. And then, then some really bad stuff was was said on their behalf or whatever, right? Or they, they looked stupid or were made a fool of on social media. Um, yeah. So it's, it's funny. And I, I do think, you know, now in corporate life, I think, you know, a really good zero trust implementation or really just really good security hygiene, you know, we're in a position now where we do know more about the devices. I, I think of biometrics and stuff like that. You know, ten years ago, before before Apple and and the consumer market started to use things like your thumbprint to unlock your phone, then in the corporate world, the use of biometrics was something that people really shied away from. They didn't They didn't really want to do it. But the minute it became a, a consumer friendly experience, that people really enjoyed, then in your workplace, people started to expect it. Um, I remember my first ever biometrics deployment was around 1995 and I worked uh, in a factory in Scotland. And what we were doing was we had Compaq and Novell and Compaq would ship a little biometrics reader that you could configure in in NDS, right? And, and people would actually be able to use that to log in. And that goes all the way back to the late 90s. And it really took like 20 years for that technology, A, to improve and mature, and, and at a, at a price point that was usable, but then really consumers to actually want to use it and, and, and be able to use it in a way that was, was not something that you'd have to train them to do, right? You don't have to train someone now to use their biometrics on their device or their their fingerprint to to log into their laptop. Right. So
0: all right. Well, I think it's a uh, fun conversation. I appreciate having you back on. Uh, I look forward to uh, you know chatting further. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, you know we talked a little bit before we started about uh, how RSA got uh, pushed back to June, but. I plan on being there. I assume you'll be there. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, COVID, uh, chills out and we all get to go to San Francisco in in June.
1: Yeah, I would love, I'd love that Tony. It'd be great to catch up in person. And hopefully for everybody out there, you know, they, if they're at RSA, then certainly feel free to, to look us up at BanyanSecurity.io, and, you know, we're going to be hosting a whole bunch of events. So, I'm looking forward to, to meeting people in person. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully COVID uh, doesn't get in the way of that. Uh, it's already got it pushed out, but hopefully, we we get this thing going forward. Awesome. All right, take care. Thanks, Tony. All the best, everyone.
0: I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at. Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. Let me know if you love it. Let me know if it sucks. And uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.